morning already. Um, I'm going to jump right into it because I have something I need to get out of the way before we actually start with the word today. You know, we don't talk politics here much at Cross Train um, on purpose, right? Um, but there is a trial that I think many of you are aware of that I need um, to start my, our time with. Um, and so I, in order to make sure that I'm accurate, I'm just going to read it. So follow along. Lance Corporal Harold Dawson and Private First Class Loudon Downey were accused of murdering a fellow Marine and faced court-martial. Lieutenant Daniel Caffey put Commander Colonel Nathan Jessup on the stand. Arrogant, prideful, unrepentant, Jessup spitefully says, Do you want answers? Caffey, the defense attorney, says, I think I'm entitled. Jessup says, Do you really want answers? Caffey responds, I want the truth. And, Jason, and Colonel Jessup famously responds, you can't handle the truth. You can almost hear his voice, can't you? If you haven't figured it out yet, that was from a movie in the 90s. He goes on to say this, Colonel Jessup, the arrogant one, he says, son, we live in a world that has walls, and those walls have to be guarded by men with guns. Who's going to do it? You I have a greater responsibility than you can possibly fathom. You have the luxury of not knowing what I know, that this death, while tragic, probably saved lives. And my existence, while grotesque and incomprehensible to, to you, saves lives. Can, I can just, like, I, I want to actually do the voice if I could. Um, you don't want the truth because deep down in places you don't want to talk about at parties, you, you want me on that wall. You need me on that wall. You use words like honor, code, loyalty, we use, those, we, we use those words as a backbone of a life spent defending something. You use them as a punchline. I have neither the time nor the inclination to explain myself to a man who rises and sleeps under the blanket of the freedom of which I provide and then questions the manner in which I provide it. Guys, so much of that, actually, that scene in a movie... Um, has a lot to do with what we're here to talk about today. But the, but the line in particular that struck me and made it worth taking the time for that rather weird introduction was the last line. I have neither the time nor the incl inclination to explain myself to a man who rises and sleeps under the blanket of the very freedom that I provide and then questions the manner in which I provide it. Guys, do you understand like, the argument that's going on in our culture today is the same argument that's been going on since the time that Jesus was tried in front of Pilate and then rose again. It is this argument for truth. See, um, Caffey, the defense attorney, wanted to define the truth of the situation his way. Colonel Jessup wanted to define this, the truth of the situation his way, but they weren't arguing truth. They were discussing facts and opinions and professing them as truth. And that's what we see happening in our culture today. But here's the beautiful part. As we ask ourselves the question, can we really handle the truth, the truth of who God is, the truth of what God's done, we have a Savior who, is, who has not only the time and the inclination to reason with us, even those of us, and all of us do it. I, I loved where the prayer time took us and even the songs took us in this. We all, Christians not, we all struggle with just questioning the manner with which God provides his truth. We all look around at the world and go, what in the world is going on? That is our time that we question truth. We all do it. Guys, is the gospel foolishness to you? 
Right? It's the, because the word of the cross is foolishness. The, the word of Christ's sacrificial death, what we celebrated on Friday, what we're talking about today, what we're, what we're looking at in the resurrection, um, um, on Resurrection Sunday, is it is foolishness to those who are perishing. But even for those of us who have embraced the cross and embraced the resurrection, has the resurrection reality lost its power? I mean, the fact that Jesus rose from the dead... Like, do we just kind of go, well, I, I, I mentally ascend to that truth. I, I, I believe it in my, in my brain. And yes, I, I know in my heart I believe it too. But does it really inform and transform how you live? And I'm talking to us that know Christ. So to level the playing field, the first talking points question, the only response I want is a show of hands. Here's the question. How many of you say that you do not give enough time to thinking about the truth of God? who he is, and what he's done. And guys, if your hand is not up, that's your problem. Honestly. Because I, guys, I preached a sermon or a message in front of 500 students at Arizona Christian University on Thursday. I came up here on Friday night and I shared another message. I'm sharing a message today. And just in those three days, I have, I have not spent enough time thinking about the truth of God. My hand was up not just to be a model. My hand was up because I'm convicted of that. So much of our time is spent thinking about other things. So in this series that we're in, in this resurrection season, we're called, we called it, Do You Know the Truth? And a couple of weeks ago, we looked at the, 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 um, the idea of the truth of selflessness and how the truth, Jesus, got the one who was the highest rank at the table, got in the lowest spot and washed the feet of his disciples. And then last week, we had that great time on the Seder where we were talking about the truth of the story and how from beginning to end, there's only ever been one story. God did not create everything and then, and then have it go south in the garden, however you think that happened. And I... For those of you that don't know, and there's a lot of faces here that don't know me, I, I'm 54 years old. I spent the first half of those 54 years as a God-mocking atheist. I did not believe in Genesis. I didn't believe in the Bible. We'll get there in a little bit. It's not about me. But regardless of how you think sin entered the world or the corruption happened or the rebellion happened, and if you don't think there's corruption and rebellion in the world, I would love to meet you. Because I just want to know, I don't care if you're a believer or not, you can't look out there and go, everything is wonderful. There's just no way. If you are, you're on something. Like, and it ain't Jesus. Right? So, so regardless of how you think that happened, guys, the, the reality is that the story, God did not go, when, it, when, when, when corruption entered his creation, God did not go, oh, I did not see that coming. I better come up with a plan. I know the Old Testament. And then they mess that up. That's pretty much the whole story of the Old Testament, right? Us messing it up. So then he's like, oh, that plan B didn't work. So how about plan C? I know, we'll call him the Christ. That's just, that starts with a C. And then he, he invents Jesus. That's not the story. It has only ever always been about Jesus Christ. And we're going to see, and he said so as, as well. So today, here's what we're looking at. So, so we looked at Friday at the truth of the sacrifice. Today we're looking at the truth of the Son, S-O-N, the truth of who he said he is. And the question is really simple. It's the question that, we, that, that in our, in our um, calling passage that John read, that, that Pilate asks Jesus, what is truth? Right? Like that's the, old, the only question we're really going to look at today because Jesus is telling Pilate he's on trial, the, the real trial we're, we were talking about. Right? He's on trial and he says, and, and, he says and, God, and, and Pilate says to him, are you a king? And Jesus says, well, you have said so, but my kingdom is not of this world. But those that are of my kingdom, 
Know and hear and believe my truth. And Pilate asks the question, what is truth? Because we have this idea that somehow Jesus was on trial that day. Jesus was not on trial that day. Pilate was on trial that day. The, the, the trial Pilate was in is the same trial many of you in this room are in right now. What is truth? And if we want to be honest, all of us in this room at different moments throughout our walk, throughout our week, are struggling with, is this true or is that true? That's, that is the battle that we're in. So if you would, open up your Bibles to our passage today. It's John chapter 14, the Gospel of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. It's the fourth um, book of your Bible. We're going to look at John 14. It's just six verses. And, and I'm going to jump right to verse 6 because verse 6 of John 14 is our outline for, um, our, our, for, our, for the time that I have to share today. So in John 14, verse 6, Jesus makes this point clear. He says, he says I am... So they've had this conversation. We'll come back to it in a minute. And Jesus says to them, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So that's our outline. He is the way, the truth, and the life. So if you look at John um, 14, verse 6, he says, I am the way. Now he's the way of what? Well, let's go back and, and go back to verse 1 of chapter 14, and we see what he's talking about. He's saying, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe, you, believe also, believe all, you believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, I would, hold, I would, have, told, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. Like, would I have lied to you? But if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again to take you to myself so that you may go where I am also. And, you, and now get this, he looks at his disciples, he says, and you know the way I am going. And Thomas says to him, Lord... We don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Guys, the way that Jesus is talking about here is not behavior. It's not, I am the way, like, walk like me. There are places in Scripture where it talks about that. In 1 John, that those who follow Christ should walk in the manner in which he walked. That's not the way Jesus is. The way Jesus is talking about is the way to eternal glory. That's the whole, what was he talking about? I go to prepare a place. I'm going to come back and get you. I'm going to take you there. There are two kingdoms. There's this kingdom here, where in this scene he currently is, the kingdom of this world, and then there's the heavenly kingdom. And he's saying, I am going to be the first one who has come from that kingdom, come down here to live in this kingdom, and I'm going back there. And someday I will take you with me. That's, what, that's ultimately what he's trying to say. Well, how does that happen? The only way it happens is if the gospel is true. If the one who came here was God, lived, died, and rose again, which will happen later in the story. But guys, the, the how is the power of the gospel. The who is of, of the way is Jesus. But only an eternal being could take us to an eternal destiny. So go back to the beginning. This is the only other place we're going to turn in Scripture today. Go back to John chapter 1. And it's worth, I mean, it's just worth taking the time to point, because, because this is the one who is the way. Because we just jumped right into the middle of the story. This is Jesus as an adult on his way to the cross. Well, where does the story start? Well, it starts 
Even according to John, the same place it starts in Genesis 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And all things came into being through him. And nothing that has come into being, nothing that has ever, ever been, has come into being apart from him. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shined in the darkness, and the darkness did not overpower it, or comprehend it, or understand it, or make sense of it. And then it talks about how there's this, there's this man who's sent to, to prepare the way, Jesus' cousin John, who he said he is not the one who is the light, but he came to testify about the light that many might believe in him. And then it goes on, if you go on to verse, um, to verse 9, he says, the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. It's, it's, he's saying this is a message for all people. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, in verse 10. He was in the world, but the, and the world was made through him, but the world did not know him. He came to his own, his own people, the Jews first, and his own people kicked him out, did not receive him. But to as many as receive him, listen, to as many as receive him, to believe in his name, that he is the way, to them he is given the right to be called what? Children of God to be called his sons and daughters, his brothers and sisters, his eternal spiritual beings. That's ultimately what he's saying. Look at, at the, we'll jump down to the very end of the passage. Look at verse 17. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. That's the way. The Mandalorian is not the way. Right? This is the way. The Mandalorian is not the way. This is the way. Grace and truth are the way. No one has ever seen God only, so remember, the whole idea is the only, the only way this works, the only way he can take us back to the place he's preparing is if he came from eternity and he's going back to eternity. He says, no one has ever seen God, the only God who is the Father, but he has made him known. Jesus is the presence of God, and we as his people who now have his spirit are his presence on the planet. We, you and I, as believers in Christ, are what Jesus is doing in the world today. So when we wonder what in the world is going on, we should ask ourselves quickly, what in the world are we doing? Right? Go to your second talking points question. Because the only way any of this is possible, guys, is not only if Jesus comes to die, but that if he rises again. Why is the resurrection, we're here on Resurrection Sunday, why is it so critical? And, and, and the second talking points question is, why should we never tire why should we never get tired of gathering together or talking about the resurrection? I'm asking. Why should we never get tired of celebrating the resurrection? We sin every day. We get to go to heaven. We forget. Like we leak. We are a leaky people. Guys, understand that that, that the, what the resurrection does is it proves that the price was sufficient. Because what happened on Friday, what we saw was that all the sins of the world were placed on, the, on, on Jesus on the cross. He breathes his last as, as father and son for their only time in, in, in all of their eternal existence are separated from one another. And then when he rises again, unless all of that sin had been atoned for, it's called the atonement, unless all of that sin had been atoned for, he could not have risen. He could not go back to the place of honor with the father. 
because the sin would have still been on him. So we celebrate the resurrection. We celebrate that he is the way to eternal glory because it proves, it's what Paul tells us, that guys, as Christians, if Christ had not been raised, we are the dumbest people in the world. That's the Doug translation. It's 1 it's Corinthians 15. If Christ is still, if Christ is not raised, if the tomb was not really empty by miracul- by the Father, not by the Son, by the Father, then we are still lost in our sins. But God did see it, the sacrifice is complete. That's why in places like Ephesians and Colossians, Paul talks about how he has made us right. He has transferred us out of the dark world into the marvelous light. Now you might be saying, but you're still here. Yes, we are, because spiritually we're transferred to the eternal kingdom, but physically we're still stuck here. That's ultimately our big problem. So now let's go back to our passage and look at our second point. So what is truth? Well, first, truth is the way to eternal glory. The second thing is what Jesus says is that he says, I am, so I am the way, I am the truth. So now if we look at the, what in the world is he, guys, you know, you know, what does it mean? What is truth? It's the question, it's the question we're asking today. It's the question that, that Pilate asks. Because we are, and guys, just, this is not new, but just like in Pilate's time, we are awash in a world that says, this is true, that is true, trust the science, morality morphs over time, right and wrong can be redefined. And oh, by the way, now we're at this place of going, and, 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 it's, and truth is completely self-defining. Truth is complete. Like, like I have the ability to um, convey what truth is for me, and you have the ability to convey what truth is for you. But you and I don't really believe that. How do I know you and I don't really believe that? Because the minute your truth interferes with my truth, I'm going to fight you on your truth. Right? We, what we do in our culture, what we, and, and even in Christianity, what we do is we don't argue truth. We argue facts and opinions, and we make, we make it sound like it's true. Guys, facts and opinions are the things that we see. The science, and I'm a science geek. I mean, I graduated with a degree in science. The science is, um, is studying facts. Philosophy is looking at opinions. Truth is the stuff that is behind all of that. Tr- real truth is what supports any of that. And real truth is what, what we believe to be true is what colors our worldview. It is, it is what shades everything we see about this world. And, and the danger to saying, well, the best guys, get this, 91% of Americans in and out of the church, 91% of them Americans say the best place to find truth is in yourself. 91% of Americans think that. Guys, but what is the problem with, find, with trying to find truth in yourself, in a person, like your person, or, on, or even in the planet? Well, I don't believe truth is defined by me, but I'm going to study creation. What's wrong with that? Sin. It's broken. It's all fallen. Guys, it's like, it'd be like looking, it'd be like having a puzzle with, with, that has all kinds of pieces that don't necessarily match together and not having the picture on the box and go, oh, but I've got to figure out how to put this puzzle together. It's much easier if you've got the picture. So what we ought to be looking at is what the real picture is because it will help us put our lives back together. But if truth is found in ourselves, if truth is found in you and in me, if truth is found in all of creation, right, then, then the, 
one, we're broken. I'm broken. I'll let you know a little secret. I'm not okay. I am broken. I'm a, I'm a believer. I'm a saint, only by God's grace, but I'm still broken, and so are you. So for me to find my truth in me is to study a broken image and go, but that's true. That's ludicrous. We would not do that anywhere except everywhere because that's what we do, right? Now, now the truth, then be, here's the other thing about truth. Even what I say, if, if truth is about what I say it is or what you say it is, or even what the, truth changes, my truth, I mean, like if my, my, because I change. What I thought was true as a, as a teenager is different than what I thought was true as a 20-something. It's different than what I thought was true as a 30-something. It's even different, like, like I would define, if, if I'm the one who gets to define truth, I would define it differently today than I would 10 years from now. And the world is doing that all the time, even about world things. Guys, we're, we're sitting there wringing our hands about things like global warming when when, because, because, now, because, because last year there was a drought that everybody was going to die in Southern California, and now the cup runneth over. But both of them are apparently global warming's fault. Well, that's a little secret. I was in Napa, California in the 80s when it flooded away. Right? Like, it, like this is not new stuff. But we start redefining truth to try to make sense of the world the, because what we're really saying is, I want what I want. I want what's comfortable. I want what makes sense to me. And, and truth has to be external and fixed, or it's not truth. It can't be. If truth can move, then it's useless. That's the bottom line. That, so when he says, I am the truth, he's saying, guys, I am the one who created all things. In, in Colossians chapter 1, he says this. He, it says this about Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He is not only the picture on the puzzle, he's the one who created the puzzle. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Guys, real truth has to be external and fixed or it cannot really be truth by definition. And we have lost that in our culture altogether, in the world altogether. Look at your last talking points question. It says, how do you, I'm asking you, I'm not asking for answers out loud. I'm asking you to think about this. How do you define truth? How do you know? The answer is easy. What are you worshiping? We worship what we think is true. You say, well, I don't know what I'm worshiping. Yes, you do. Where, on what, or with whom are you spending your time, talent, and treasure? Guys, where we spend our time, where we sp what, what, what we invest our talents in, and where we spend our money are the things we worship. I'm, I'll say it, and I'll say it, and I'll just keep saying it. What we fixate on, we migrate towards. Right? What captures our heart, what, like, what, what, what fills our brain captures our heart, and what captures our heart consumes our soul. That's the reality. That is what we're worshiping. So what are we looking at? What are we, guys, the only answer, we have to look at Christ. That's what, I, I get that I'm like preaching to the choir at church on a Sunday. I'm telling you, we have to help the world see that, the, that, that there is absolute truth. And it's not an it, it's a him. And his name is Jesus Christ. Now, let's, and that brings us to our last point. So Jesus says, when they, when like, we don't know where you're going, we don't know what to do. And he says, I am the way. 
I'm the way to eternal glory. I am the truth. I'm the one who explains all things because I created all things. And I am the life. Guys, the reason I wanted to hit this idea of truth so hard in this resurrection season is because the only way to get to eternal life is to know the truth. Jesus said in John chapter 8 that you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So wait a second. You have to know the truth and the truth will set you free. So how do we know the truth? Well, first, there's two ways that we know the truth. We know the truth by the Word of God. Because in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He is God. The the writer of Hebrews says the same thing. The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. And in the very next verse, in Hebrews 4, he says, And nothing is hidden from his sight. Because the it, the Word, the truth, is a him, and his name is Jesus. In your bulletin, there was an insert called um, On the Awe of God's Word. And I'm just going to quickly read this because, guys, as a God-mocking atheist for half of my life, I did not believe the Bible was real. The, but I, I, and I don't have time. We've taught it before. We do a foundations class here and an apologetics class here on our training center. I, we would love for you to be a part of it. Um, we would love to talk with you. If you have questions and you're, wrestling, you're like, wait a minute, I, that's where, this is where I am. Like, none of this is not only making sense to me, but I don't even care about any of it. That was me. I mean, I'm telling you, and, and in my heart of hearts, sometimes that still is. And so, I, so, so please, talk, let's, there are, the only reason, listen, the only reason you, don't, you believe that the Bible is a bunch of made-up stories that was changed over time is because somebody told you that. Because it's not true. I don't just say it's not true because now I believe the Bible. I'm saying the reason I believe the Bible is I did the research back in my 20s and I found out they were lying to me. Because they wanted me to believe their truth instead of this truth. Because here's the truth about the Bible. The Bible is the best-selling book of all time with an estimated 5 billion copies distributed throughout the world, throughout the ages. So how did this bestseller come into being? It was written over a period of 1,500 years, over 40 generations by 40 authors with three from all different occupations, living in 13 different countries, on three different continents, writing on three different languages. Guys, if this was a conspiracy theory, if this was a conspiracy theory that was a remarkable work of humanity before there was the internet. Because they weren't emailing each other to get their story straight. It says, no other written work compares to its diversity of authorship, and yet it comes together beautifully in one book called the Bible. How is this possible? Because it is breathed out by the Spirit of the living God. It contains 66 books, 1,189 chapters, comprising 31,173 verses, totaling 783,137 words. It's, I'm going ju- to jump down for the interest of time. It speaks with one voice, remarkably, miraculously, divinely communicating one thing. It presents one problem. It professes one way of salvation. It teaches one way to live. It expresses one standard of morality. It promotes one model of the family. It promotes one plan for the ages. Its theme is God's love. Its focus is Jesus Christ. Its message is redemption found in in grace. And its call on your lives and mine is to repent and believe in the gospel. That's what our, that's what, now, guys, as beautiful as the word is, it takes the spirit of the living God taking the word of the living God to transform the people of God into the image of the Son of God. That's what the word does. Paul Paul put it this way in Romans chapter 10, verse 9. He says that you have to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you have to believe in your heart what? That God raised him from the dead. What are we here to celebrate today? That God raised him. You have to believe. You can't just go, I give mental assent. Like, Like when I came to realize, okay, the Bible really is 
I, I still didn't believe it was like, the, a, a re, like true, but I believed it was what was originally written. It took the Holy Spirit to make it come to life in my heart. I cannot give you the words. I cannot pray a prayer and have you pray it back to me and have you somehow walk. It's not a chant. We're not a cult, right, guys? This, this is a work of the Holy Spirit by you coming to believe that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And if you're sitting here going, now, now, and, and the resurrection, and, and I'm going to finish up with this, the resurrection is the thing that we all have to decide what we think about it. Because if the resurrection is not true, if Jesus didn't really rise from the dead, if the disciples stole his body, or what, and, and guys, there are all kinds of excellent resources out there. I did a lot of research on this too as an atheist. Okay, what happened to the body? Lee Strobel's book, um, Josh McDowell's book, Evidence That Demands a Verdict, um, uh, Tim Keller's book on the reason, reason for God. Um, there, I, if you need some resources, let me know. I'll be happy to get them to you. But guys, eat the, the fa- get this. The historical fact that Jesus rose from the dead is exactly that, a historical fact. How do we know that? Because even non-Christians wrote about it. First century Jewish, not Christian, Jewish, Jewish historian wrote this. There was about this time Jesus, a wise man, if it was lawful to call him a man. For he was such a doer of wonderful works. This is a Jew, not a Jew that converted. This was a Jew that died a Jew. A teacher of such, a, of such men as, as to receive the truth with pleasure. He drew over to him both many, he, he drew over both many of the Jew and many of the Gentile. He was Christ. And when Pilate, at the suggestion of principal men among us, had condemned him to the cross, those that loved him at first did not forsake him. For he appeared to them alive again on the third day, as the divine prophets had foretold. These um, these and ten thousand other wonderful things concerning him. And the tribe of Christians so named from him, are not extinct to this very day. Guys, by the early 30s, when I was in Israel, by the early 30s AD, so shortly after Jesus died, there were already inscriptions on homes. These would have been outlawed, and they would have been written by people who believed that worshiping anybody other than God was a sin. And yet, in homes, in places of business, there were inscriptions that said, Jesus is Lord. Right, Jesus Curios. They were saying that they were they would write that down, and they were that that means that those people at that time, not all of them, but those people at that time, absolutely believed that Jesus did rise from the dead. That would be the only reason that those people would would, would come to believe in him because it was not culturally popular. It did not help them financially. There was no benefit to being a Christian in their time. Now, guys, why why belabor that point as we land this plane? and we get ready to um, worship in baptism and, and in song. Guys, why belabor that point? Because everything about our faith hinges on that. If the, craw, if the, if the tomb is empty, then, then we, should all just, we could all just go home. I mean, all of this is just a fun time to be together and dress up and eat some donuts and hang out if, if, the, if the tomb really it was not empty. But if the tomb was empty, and it was. And Jesus really did rise again because his penalty was sufficient, and it was. And if he did ascend to the Father, and he did. And if he sent his spirit, and he did. Then the question becomes, what are you going to do about it? If the tomb of Jesus Christ, historically, not, not just biblically, historically, if the tomb of Jesus Christ was empty, how do you reconcile that? 
I'm not asking. That was my struggle. That's what ultimately led me to bow my knee. I couldn't figure out how to answer that question. Because everything hinges on it. All of eternal glory hinges on the resurrection. Christ's and then yours. So let's pray. Father God, I just thank you for um, the beautiful truth that resurrection glory is just that. It is glorious. I thank you for the truth that you are the way, the truth, and the life. That, that new life comes when we are born again. What you say in John chapter 3, that is, unless someone is born physically and born spiritually, born again, they cannot inherit the kingdom of God. That's what the cross and the resurrection made possible. The ability for us to have be indwelt by the Holy Spirit, that can only come by the power of the Spirit. So Lord, I do pray right now. I pray for the people in this room and I, and I'm, I don't know who they are. I, don't, I can't tell people's hearts. But I'm sure there are people in this room that have not been born again. Yeah, they're sitting here physically, but spiritually they're still dead. Lord, I pray that, that right now they would, they would be asking themselves the question, what am I going to do about the truth that Jesus rose from the dead. And whatever, and whatever decision is made is a decision. To decide to do nothing is a decision. To decide to reject it is a decision. To decide to think about it some more is a decision. But what you say is that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and we believe in our hearts that you really did rise from the dead, you will be saved. So I do pray for those hearts right now, Lord. I pray that the Holy Spirit would do the work that only the Holy Spirit can do. And for those of us that maybe have just grown weary in the walk with Jesus, Lord, I do pray that you would remind us that we have resurrection power that the empty tomb is a, is, a, is a picture of not emptiness, but fullness. That you rose, Jesus rose again as first fruits, meaning we will rise. That means death has no victory, death has no sting. That means the new life in Christ is ours in full. So I, I do pray that we would live it, that we would live as resurrected people, that we would live as kingdom people by kingdom power for kingdom glory. Lord, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for this time that we've had over the last few weeks to just press into knowing him better. He is worth the effort. For all that he did, for all that he said, for all that he's done, all that he will do. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen.